and turn with me in your Bibles, page 1235, page 1235, or it's also in your large print sheets as well, but 1235, Joel chapter 3, continuing on to page 1236 as well. Page 1235, page 1235, as we did last week, we will read this, we will read this uh, chapter in its entirety. Joel, chapter 3, this is the prophecy of the Lord. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. They have cast lots for my people, have given a boy as payment for a harlot, and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Indeed, what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon and all the coast of Philistia? Will you retaliate against me? But if you retaliate against me, swiftly and speedily I will return your retaliation upon your own head. Because you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried into your temples my prized possessions. Also the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem you have sold to the Greeks that you may remove them far from their borders. Behold, I will raise them out of the place to which you have sold them and will return your retaliation upon your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah. And they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a people far off, for the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble and come, all you nations, and gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go now, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow. For their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. 
For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem shall be holy, and no aliens shall ever pass through her again. And it will come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drip with new wine, the hills shall flow with milk, and all the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. A fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Acacias. Egypt shall be a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness because of violence against the people of Judah, for they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall abide forever and Jerusalem from generation to generation. For I will acquit them of the guilt of bloodshed, whom I had not acquitted. For the Lord dwells in Zion. O beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is now the second of a two-part series on chapter 3 of Joel. Multitudes in the Valley of Decision. And as we saw last week, the theme is that the prophet promises vindication of God's people amidst the certain judgment of all the nations in the Valley of Decision. The prophet promises vindication of God's people amidst the certain judgment of all the nations in the Valley of Decision. As we mentioned last week, we all like to know there will be a good ending to a story. But as we also mentioned, when I say story, that does not mean fairy tale. Certainly not in this case. We're dealing with things that are very real. We can be confident then that the story, the story we could say of redemption, the story of world history ends well. Of course, it ends well for those who belong to God. Through all of the pronouncements of judgment, through all the harsh denunciations of sin, God's elect will be saved and vindicated. Vindicated before a watching world. Now again, just a brief recap of this prophecy of Joel, chapter 1, the locusts are coming. Those creepy, crawly, gnawing, munching locusts, as we saw. Chapter 2, 1 through 17, the heartfelt repentance, not superficial sorrow, rend your heart and not your garments, uh, not an outward show as Jesus condemned the Pharisees for their 
hypocritical outward show of religion. The end of chapter 2, verses uh, 18 through 32, dreaming dreams and seeing visions. And then chapter 3, the great day of judgment. Now last week we saw, first of all, the complaint against the nations. Notice in verses 4 and 19, the particular nations that are mentioned here. But also, it's important to notice that in verse 2, it says all nations. So the particular ones are sort of parts put for a whole. It's all nations. Verse 10, the, um, uh, as well, uh, or verse 9, excuse me, proclaim this among the nations. And uh, verse 11, assemble and come all you nations, or in the King James, all you heathen. All nations, that is to say, that are in rebellion against the Lord, particularly those who conspired together will be gathered together by God in order to be judged. Now, remember again, back in chapter 2, verse 28, what is what does God say? I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. He's gonna, so God's going to pour out his spirit upon all nations, upon all flesh. And that's what we find at the day of Pentecost, where the end of Joel 2 was fulfilled, where the speaking in tongues, the cloven tongues of fire, and the spirit being uh, poured out upon all flesh, as we noted last week. So there are going to be people, they're going to be elect from all the nations, Jews and Gentiles alike, for we are all one in Christ. And that's the reality that is being portrayed here in Joel 2, as well as in Acts 2 with regard to the day of Pentecost. But now, in a sense, we're, we're looking at it from a different angle. And here, the nations that are being summoned to judgment are those that are in rebellion against God. The nations that are to be judged are those people who reject God from all the tribes and tongues, and yes, even the Jews who refuse to believe in Christ. <clears throat> now, notice the attacks on Israel <clears throat> in verses 2, 3, and 6. Why is God doing this? Why will he enter into judgment? On account of my people, my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. Verse 3, they have cast lots uh, for my people. In other words, gambled for them and have given a boy as payment for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. We find that, by the way, in Obadiah, interestingly, uh, in uh, the book of uh, Obadiah, uh, and uh, verse 11, in Obadiah, in that day, you, uh, that in the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots, gambled for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. And then also Nahum, in Nahum chapter 3 and verse 10, Nahum chapter 3 and verse 10, 
uh, we find a similar phrase, a, a similar terminology. Nahum uh, chapter 3 and verse 10. Yet she was carried away. She went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed to pieces. At the head of every street they cast lots for honorable men, and all her great men were bound in chains. So there they were, it was the bloody city, if you will, that is, say, uh, Nineveh, where in that case the, the people were gambled for as well. But here it is, the people of God, that are being, that lots are being cast, they're gambling for them. And notice verse 6, the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem you sold to the Greeks, so slave trading, that you may remove them far from their borders. Now, there's also a tax on the God of Israel, verse 5, stealing his gold and silver for other temples. So this is the indictment, if you will. This is the complaint against the nations. And what is going to be this? Well, God is going to recompense. He's going to pay them back. He's going to recompense swift and speedy justice. Uh, verse 4, swiftly and speedily, I will return your retaliation upon your own head. Verse 8, I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a people far off. The Lord has spoken swift and speedy justice. This is what you've done. It's going to happen to you. You who are in rebellion against God. You who reject God and his authority, and particularly who repudiate the salvation that is found in the Messiah in Jesus Christ. Indeed, we see in verses 1 and 7, we see there is going to be the bringing back of the captivity of the people of Israel. In other words, God's people. Notice the call to the seat of judgment in terms of this judgment. God will plead with the nations on behalf of his people. Verse 2, he will call them to battle as if to say, do your worst. Do your worst. Verses 9 through 11, you think you're so great? Well, come to the battle and let's see who's going to win. God is calling the people to the judgment seat. Verse 12, he is seated on the throne of judgment. There I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. And it is there that he will render decision. He is the one who decides. This is the valley, as we noted last week, this is the valley of Jehoshaphat, which, is a, which means Yahweh judges, Jehovah judges. He is the one who decides. It is the valley of Jehoshaphat. And so when it says these multitudes are in the valley of decision, it is not as if they get to vote. It's not as if they get to choose. No, the decision belongs to God. It is his judgment. It is his decision that is being carried out. And so the multitudes, multitudes in that great valley are there in order to await their doom. 
and destruction. This judgment is pronounced, for they are ripe for judgment. Verse 13, put in the sickle, the harvest is ripe. Come down, the winepress is full, the vats overflow. Their wickedness is great. They are, they have, that's filled to the brim, if you will. It's the cup of God's, it's filled to the brim, the cup of God's wrath, if you will. And therefore, they are, these are ripe. Last week, the use of apocalyptic language in verses 15 and 16, the sun and moon will grow dark, the stars will diminish their brightness, uh, the heavens and earth will shake, and so forth. So this is apocalyptic language. This is this, this very colorful language with a certain amount of mystery in it, but it's painting. What is it painting? It's painting that God is coming in judgment. That's the point. And how is he doing it? Through his roaring. Verse 16, as children, I mentioned last week, Aslan, the lion in the lion, the witch in the wardrobe, the lion that roars. And so the Lord Jesus is the lion, not only the lamb, but he is, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He roars, the Lord roars, and it's going to put terror in his enemies on that final day of judgment. And it will be a day of total desolation and destruction. Verse 19 Egypt shall be a desolation, Edom a desolate wilderness, because of violence against the people of Judah. They have shed innocent blood in their land. And so the judgment of the nations. Now we come today, thirdly, to the vindication of God's people. The vindication of God's people. Verses 1 and 7 we see that God here promises to rescue his people. This was to be of great encouragement to the people of God. And it's going to be near Jerusalem, it says here. In other words, it's going to be a matter of comfort for God's people. They're going to see it. And um, it's going to be an irritation to those who are outside of Christ it's going to be an irritation to them when they understand that Jerusalem, meaning God's people, will be protected. God, you see, will undertake, will undertake this judgment, first of all, for his own glory, but secondly, in order to vindicate his elect in order to vindicate those for whom Christ has died. And so we see that this promise to rescue them and to vindicate his people. Notice verses 16 and 17 then. Verses 16 and 17. Look at the end of verse 16. You see the little word but there in the middle of the verse? But, ah, how many times have we seen that little word, but, in Scripture? How important that word is. The contrast. But, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people. We see here now the hope of his people. 
The word for hope here, the word for hope signifies harbor or shelter. Like if you're out in a, in a storm somewhere on the ocean, you want to come into a safe harbor. You want to come into the shelter. And what we are told here is not simply that God will provide a shelter. Do you see what it says? The Lord himself will be that shelter for his people. He will also himself be the strength of the children of Israel or the children of Zion. He himself will be that strength. It's not this just that he will provide that strength. He himself, as we take hope in him, will be that strength. It is also because the Lord himself dwells in Zion. Verse 17, so you shall know, you shall know that I am Yahweh, that I am the Lord your God. So we have the knowledge of the Lord. The knowledge of the Lord. It is this knowledge that purifies and sanctifies us. And this knowledge of the Lord, you see, comes about precisely because he is the one who is dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. It's because the Lord is in our midst. And of course we know that that was very literally and physically true during the time when Jesus walked this earth because he is God come in the flesh. And he very literally, very physically was in our midst. But he now by his spirit is also in our midst. He dwells in his church. He dwells in the midst of his people. And then do you see the end of verse 17? That is to say, Jerusalem, that is to say, his people being holy. Now, what does holiness mean, children? Well, first of all, fundamentally, it means being set apart for God's service. That's what holiness means. So uh, you might have, um, uh, you might at home have a, a set of dishes uh, that you use every day. And then you might have some special dishes for when the queen comes to dinner or whatever. Okay? So in other words, those, those are special dishes that you only take out when it's a special occasion. Those, in a sense, are holy. They are set apart. Or perhaps a, um, uh, perhaps a, a young lady, for example, uh, who uh, has a special dress. Well, let's say a wedding dress. That's set apart for one special day, isn't it? And so the notion of holiness, first of all, means to be set apart for a special purpose and in terms of the people of God, set apart for his service. <clears throat> but having been set apart for his service, that means that we are to be morally clean. We're to be holy in that sense. We're to live our lives for the glory of God. After all, that is man's chief end, children, as you well know. And notice also, notice the very end of verse 17, and no aliens, no strangers shall ever pass through her again. 
Now, this, this reminds us, should remind us, of what Elder Patillo read earlier, and that is Revelation chapter 21. So let's look at Revelation 21 just for a moment. <clears throat> Revelation 21, verse 1, John writes, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned her husband. Who is Jerusalem? Who is the New Jerusalem? My friends, it is all the people of God, whether Jew or Gentile. That's the whole point, isn't it? We are the new Israel of God, the church today, Jew and Gentile alike. And that's exactly what we find here in Revelation 21. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle, the tent of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. See the very thing we talked about in Joel 3. He will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Oh, we go through this life with all the pains and sufferings and ups and downs and turmoils. And of course, we saw that in Joel 3 in terms of Israel, did we not? But there's another day coming. There's a judgment day coming when his, when God's elect will be vindicated and God in that day will wipe away every tear. There will be no more sorrow. Verse 5, then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who ever overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. We are God's heritage, and he is our he is the one whom we inherit as well. But notice verse 8, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, witchcraft, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. What is God saying here? What is the Lord saying? He's saying that all the strangers all the ones that are not his elect will be the ones who will be judged. And his people will be purified, prepared for heaven. As my father used to say, uh, heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. I'm sure he was quoting somebody else, but as a preacher, as one, uh, as one growing up as a preacher's kid, I often heard him say that. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. And so it is the case. Jerusalem is going to be holy. That's why God says, says here, but 
but the Lord will be a shelter for his people. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and no strangers shall ever pass through her again. And then, as we continue with this third point today, the vindication of God's people is to rescue them, their identification. But now we come towards the end of the chapter to the multifold blessings. As Matthew Henry put it, plenty, perpetuity, and purity. Three Ps. Plenty, perpetuity, and purity. Notice the plenty, the description of the land and its truths. Verse 18, it will come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drip with new wine. The hills shall flow with milk. And all the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. A fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Acacias. Milk and wine. Milk and wine. Abundance of food for infant and adult. And well watered, just like the Garden of Eden. That's the picture here. Perpetuity. You see, there will always be a church on earth to praise God. And there will always be a church, of course, in the new heavens and the new earth to praise God. One generation here on earth, one generation to another. One generation to another, passing down the faith from one to the other. But look at verse 20. But Judah shall abide forever and Jerusalem from generation to generation. So there's a reality of that here on earth in the here and now. But again, it's a picture, is it not, of the church in eternity, the perpetuity of the church. The plenty, the perpetuity, and finally, the purity. And this is very, this, look at verse 21. This is so interesting as I've been you know, looking at this, thinking about this. So he's talking about the people of God, is he not? He says, for I will acquit them of the guilt of bloodshed whom I had not acquitted. Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? That's interesting, because isn't that, uh, isn't that what had been said back in verse 19 about Egypt and Edom, the, the, um, the nations that were in rebellion? Egypt shall be a desolation, Edom a desolate wilderness because of violence against the people of Judah, for they have shed innocent blood in their land. So God says, in terms of Egypt and Edom, those wicked nations, for their bloodshed, they are going to be a But now he comes to verse 21. And now he's referring to the people of God. You see, he first, what does he do first? He talks about their sin, too. See, how are we any different? We're no different from anyone else apart from the grace of God. That's the point. But God here says, as he vindicates his elect, for I will acquit them. I will find them not guilty of the guilt of bloodshed whom I had not acquitted. Is it because of our goodness? No, never. It's because of the blood and the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. 
My friends, we need cleansing from sin. We need to be acquitted in God's courtroom. And Christ is the one who has opened a fountain in which we can be washed. Zechariah 13, verse 1. Notice back in verse 18, a fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord. Cleansing. But also it is the blood of Christ that enables us to be pronounced not guilty, to be acquitted of all of our sin, even bloodshed. We're no better than anybody else. It is solely the grace of God. Now, four points of application. The first is this. Appreciate that what is being pictured here What's being pictured here are spiritual blessings, spiritual blessings. You know, many times we will uh, read as a call to worship Isaiah uh, 55 and verse 1. Isaiah 55 verse 1 says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Is he talking about spiritual food and drink? No. This is spiritual food and drink. It's a picture, is it not? If you look at John, John chapter 7. John chapter 7 and verses 37 and 38. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Does he mean literally? In a physical sense? No, of course not. It's a picture of spiritual blessing. Look at Psalm 46. Psalm 46 and verse 4. Psalm 46 and verse 4. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. Is he talking about a literal river for Jerusalem? No. He's talking about the spiritual that is being portrayed by that refreshing water whose streams make us glad. Look at Ezekiel chapter 47. Ezekiel chapter 47 Verse starting in verse 1, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from the south altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces east, and there was water running out on the right side. And so, Again, now the the man is to measure it, and finally it becomes so deep that he has to swim in it, if you will. This is a picture, my friends. This is a picture of the blessing of God. It's a picture of that. It's not to be understood as a literal, as a literal stream. And finally, in this regard, 
Revelation 22 and verse 1. Revelation 22 and verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Is that a literal tree? Not in a physical sense. But it certainly is a very real tree. But it's what's being portrayed, you see. That's the point. And all of this, all these blessings then, are because of the fountain, which is Christ himself, as Jesus said in John chapter 7. And this grace then flows even to the remotest parts, the remotest spots of the Gentile world, all the way to the water, the valley of Acacias, or the valley of Shittim, to the remotest parts of the Gentile world, we see these spiritual blessings flow. So number one, appreciate what's being portrayed here are the spiritual blessings, not literal, physical ones. Number two, look forward to the day when we will be cleansed completely. Look forward to the day when we will be cleansed completely. Again, with reference to Revelation 21. Now, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, clothed in the white of a virgin bride. And verse, verse 9, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. My friends, we will be clothed. All of God's people will be clothed in white. And we will be totally, spotlessly holy. In Revelation uh, chapter 7 and verse 9. Revelation 7 and verse 9. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one can number of all nations, all flesh, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes, with palm branches, in their hands, showing, showing, portraying the spotless nature of those who belong to God. Verses 13 and following, when one of the elders answers, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? Where do they come from? And I said to him, Sir, thou knowest. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple and who sits on the throne will dwell among them. And again, chapter 21 of Revelation and 2 and 3, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 3, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them, they shall be his people, God himself will be with them and be their God. Spotlessly holy. Therefore, my friends, we have a responsibility to live in an appropriate manner. 
And so look forward to the day when we will be cleansed completely. Hallelujah. No more sin. No more sin. Oh my. No more sin. Spotlessly clean. That's what's being portrayed in Joel 3. That's what is being anticipated as being, as we see it, also portrayed in Revelation 21. So, look forward to the day and we'll be cleansed completely. Number three, rejoice that all of the enemies of Christ will come to an end. Rejoice that all of the enemies of Christ will come to an end. And we mentioned that last week, but I'll say it again. I'll say it again. Rejoice in the judgments of God. Not because we are, are ourselves being vindictive, but because we are rejoicing that God is the one who is the judge. And number four, remember that Jesus suffered the casting of lots for his garment. You see, back in, in Joel 3, back in Joel 3 and verse 3, they have cast lots for my people. Now that's a horrible thing, be gambled for. But my friends, Jesus' garments were gambled for. And part of what we learn from that is that he identifies with us in our suffering. We have a fellowship, you see, of his sufferings. We have a fellowship of his sufferings. In uh, Philippians uh, 3 and verse 10, Philippians 3 and verse 10, where Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 5 7, again, the Apostle Paul tells us, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, in us, so our consolation, our comfort, also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. If we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. There is a fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. You see that in Joel 3, what's being portrayed there is that the people themselves were being gambled for. And what happened to Jesus? His garment was being gambled for. And he identifies, therefore, with our sufferings. He, well, my friends, Jesus, disrespect and idolatry as evidenced in the gambling. And he was subject to that for you and for me. The idolatry, the trusting lady luck, as it were, the gods of this world and the God of glory, the Lord of glory was subject to that. 
all contradiction of sinners against himself for you and for me. And in order not only to be the king of all and the judge of all, but my friends, also in order to vindicate his people amidst the certain judgment of all the nations in the valley of decision. Amen. Will you please stand for prayer? And Father, we thank thee uh, for the Lord Jesus who has loved us with an everlasting love. The one who was subject even to the indignity of having his garment gambled for. So we thank thee, Father, that the Lord Jesus identifies with us and that we identify with him. So, Father, we thank thee for all of these things. And so bless us, Lord. Continue to watch over us and enable us, O God, to love thee and to adore thee and to look forward to the day when Jesus will come back and we with the church in every age say, even so, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.